Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 21st day of January 2023. I'm your host, Mark Call. And what's the most important news about the most important people in the most important place on the planet, at least so far as they're concerned? Why, you got it! They met one another this week in Davos, Switzerland, to decide what they're going to do with the rest of the peons. Peons, the slaves, the folks out in flyover country who probably don't even deserve to live because, well, you know, they're useless eaters. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. (laughs) You and I are not in the big club. But the big dog club did meet this week, and the peons weren't allowed anywhere close. Now, none of that is really news, other than, of course, it was a conspiracy theory a couple of years back that these people even existed, much less that they met together in places like Bilderberg or Davos, Switzerland. Really, though, this is what I think is the most fascinating news about the World Economic Forum meeting this week. And, of course, it's also a really appropriate way to start things off this evening. And I actually saw this up on multiple places on the web. Josh Yoder, head of the U.S. Freedom Flyers, a group of pilots who are concerned about the unconstitutional, anti-human vaccine mandates. They're also, by the way, a crime against humanity and a violation of federal aviation regulations. But, hey, who cares about that? And besides, we'll have more on that in a bit. Anyway, he told Alan Dana that he's receiving inquiries from Davos elites interested in hiring pilots to take them into that most important club meeting on the planet that are unvaccinated. What? Did he say unpoison poked? But they want to hire unvaccinated pilots, you heard that right, to fly their business trips because, well, you know, it's safety that really matters, at least to those people that really matter. Dana told Marie Z. Uncensored this week he's getting calls now from wealthy businessmen and companies to fly their execs around on business jets with unvaccinated crews. They get the luxury of being able to choose because, of course, they're a lot more important. And the pilots that don't have to work for the major airlines that don't care about your lives and therefore want to make sure that all of the people are politically correct, woked and poison poked, because if a plane load of them goes down, like, I don't know, say in Nepal over the weekend, who cares? There really still are a large number of available crew in the United States who have not taken the Zyklon B because they were able to work for companies that didn't mandate it, a few of them, and now they seem to be in really high demand. Said Dana, these wealthy businessmen are requiring unvaccinated crew on their business trips, especially into places like Davos. Now it would seem passengers on an airline, though, who bought a ticket don't have that luxury. Well, if they're willing to play Russian roulette and get on an American airline anyway. Dana, former pilot for Jetstar, a Singapore-based airline, noted that such inquiries haven't been coming in as much to Australia's version of Freedom Flyers chapter because they haven't been around as long and aren't as well-connected as in the U.S., And if you haven't heard the story before, folks, yes, it was the fact that nearly all the major airlines in the United States mandated the experimental Zyklon B so-called COVID-not vaccines for pilots and crew back in 2021. The FAA turned a blind eye to the violation of their own regulations, and all of that led dissenting pilots to form the U.S. Freedom Flyers. Two years later, emerging data and increased documented incidents of individuals who, say it with me, folks, died suddenly after receiving the mrna not vaccines appears to be making even the elite recognize Ooh, we got caught on this one we better uh, do what we can to protect at least our lives to hell with everybody else now since i mentioned it i will also note that there was a major airline disaster in nepal of yeti airlines flight 691 which crashed sunday 
just before landing at the tourist destination of Pokhara in the Himalayan nation. At least 68 of the 72 passengers aboard are dead. As usual, there is no explanation of what caused the crash, although dramatic video shot on at least one smartphone shows the last moments before the plane crashed into a gorge about a mile or so from the newly opened Pokhara International Airport. The consensus seems to be that the video looks like an aerodynamic stall. Although conditions at the time of the crash were good, with low wind, clear skies, and temperatures well above freezing. Now, your host has seen at least one of the videos, folks. It certainly is tragic, and it certainly does look like what's been described. And as a long-time pilot, I'm always very cautious about speculating about what the cause of aviation accidents might be before the final information is in. But I'll tell you the problem today. I don't, quite frankly, believe we're going to hear whatever that final information might be. Yeah, the black boxes have supposedly been recovered, but literally everybody listening can pretty much guarantee one thing. If there is any connection with the Zyklon B injection or a poison-poked cockpit crew, you're not going to hear it. Look at the sudden adult death syndrome we're already seeing. You're not even allowed to ask the question about whether the cockpit crew is poison poked or not, even though, as you know, in the case of most American airlines, the answer is, yeah, you don't even have to ask. They wouldn't be allowed to fly otherwise, in spite of the Federal Aviation Medical Regulations. I guess in that regard, it's a bit like NFL players. But I will just throw out a couple of observations. If there was a place where a stroke or sudden pilot incapacitation or maybe a heart attack that caused somebody to jerk back and to pull up on the yoke would really cause a problem, it's in the immediate airport environs as they're preparing to land, especially with the autopilot disconnected, as might be the case in a relatively mountainous area. So I'll say it again. Weather conditions look fine. Oh, yes, we're going to hear questions about training and whether the pilots were adequately prepared. But we all know that the only question, again, that you're not going to be able to ask is whether or not the pilots were adequately uh, pre-poisoned. This isn't about speculating as to the cause of an accident, folks. It's about saying right up front, do we really believe what they're going to try to feed us, regardless of what the actual truth ends up being? And that is the real reason for the lack of trust in a system that simply positively doesn't deserve any. And from there, we've got to move right on to this story that came out, amazingly, just a day or so later. Because, as you know, your host is a pilot. I have talked for a long time that if there was a proof of the fact that the uh, Zyklon B injection, as a part of the bioweapon program, the uh, COVID-1984, let's destroy the world, genocide plan, this one has to be pretty close to the top of that stinking heap. The FAA ignoring the mandate for safety and not only allowing but even encouraging the mandating of pilots to take the Zyklon B and then go fly planes full of people in spite of the fact that they're medically unfit to fly. And now we know it's even worse than what your host has been saying, along with a lot of others, for well over a year. Here's the headline from Steve Kirsch's Substack and newsletter. The FAA has very quietly and now tacitly admitted that it's the EKGs of pilots, which are also mandated as part of that let's not pay any attention to it anymore, first-class medical certification, that are no longer normal. Yeah, he says we ought to be concerned, very concerned. And the proof is in the pudding. And he offers one more in-your-face, unbelievably evil proof. In October 2022, there was a version of the FAA Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners that was released in which the FAA quietly widened the EKG parameters beyond what was once the normal range. That would be pre-Zyklon B. And they didn't just widen the range by a little, but by a whole lot. And it was done after the rollout of, yeah, guess what, the vaccine mandate. 
This is extraordinary, says Kirsch. They did it hoping nobody would notice, and it actually worked for a while because nobody caught it. But hey, you can't hide these things forever. And what we now have is a tacit admission from Big Brother that the COVID-1984 not vaccine has literally damaged the hearts of many, many commercial pilots. Not just a few, a lot, and a whole lot of damage, too. And the cardiac harm isn't, of course, limited to pilots. Says Kirsch, my best guess right now, based on the statistics that he's spent a long time looking at, and this, by the way, is consistent with other reports we've seen out of Europe, folks, over 50 million Americans have sustained some sort of heart damage from the stroke poke. And that's on top of what we already knew right up front, but has been proven by the deaths and disabilities of so many people since. The not vaccine not only isn't a real vaccine, but it makes people not less but more likely to get COVID. They're more likely to be hospitalized when they do, and they're more likely to die, not only from COVID, but from anything else that their weakened immune system may make them susceptible to. But don't worry, you can't sue the bastards that have brought this evil upon the nation. They fixed the law, such as it now exists, so that they aren't even liable for damages. Not doctors, not drug companies, not Big Brother. After all, you, whether you were coerced into it or not, ended up taking the vaccine of your own, well, at least semi-free will. It's not like you were forced, really, even though if you wanted a job or a family or you didn't want to be ostracized or any number of perfectly reasonable excuses for taking, say, the mark of the beast real soon now, too. No, you weren't coerced into it. You were duped. And there were even lots of people warning, including this show and this host and so many others for over two years now, not to take the, at best, untested gene therapy, even though most of those warnings were, as we now see too, highly censored. The story goes like this. On October 24, 2022, the FAA quietly, without any announcement, widened the EKG requirements necessary for pilots to pass the first-class medical, the kind of certification once required for things like commercial airline pilots. Now, don't get me wrong, they still require it, folks, but like FDA approval, it's been reduced to not much more than a joke. There's a parameter called PR, a measure of heart function, which used to have a mandated range of between 0.12 to 0.2. But now it goes from that same 0.12 all the way up to 0.3 and potentially even higher, which is a wide range and even accommodates people with known cardiac injuries. In the story, Kirsch goes on to quote cardiologist Tom Levy, who is literally appalled by what's been done. He should be. So should all of us although we simply have no excuse for being surprised at this point. And what's happened of late? Well, not only are pilots who should be grounded for medical reasons still playing Russian roulette with the lives of gullible passengers, it's that cardiologists have started to notice the damage post-vaccine. And let's not forget all of the sudden adult deaths, coincidentally, started post-vaccine as well. Why, ask yourself, folks, just how many high-profile cases have you seen just in the last week? Writes Kirsch, I know of a study of 177 people in Puerto Rico, 97% of whom had taken the Zyklon B, aged 8 through 84. 70% of those when screened for cardiac injury using the FDA-approved testing device from HeartCare Corporation exhibited objective signs of cardiac injury. There was also a study done on pilots. It's being published in the Epic Times later this week, which indicated heart damage in over 20% of all the pilots screened. Let me put it this way. Would you fly a commercial airplane if there was a one in five chance at least one engine had a known mechanical issue prior to flight? Yeah, they got a spare up there, right? Bottom line and vitally important, the FAA knows that the hearts of pilots 
have been injured by the COVID-1984, and this is why I call it Zyklon B. And, of course, again, it's a not vaccine. It's an mRNA technique used to modify people's DNA. And they were coerced into taking it, even if uh, legally they don't quite call it that. After all, you may have had a gun to your head, but ultimately you went along, didn't you? Still, the number of pilots is huge. The cardiac damage is extensive. Passenger safety, no doubt about it. Whether the sheeple fly and the crowd killers know it or not is compromised. And those who promulgated the lie are still trying to double down. The right thing, says Kirsch, would be for the FAA to come clean and admit that they lied to the American public that the COVID not vaccine has now injured 20% or more of all still flying pilots. And uh, the fact that you haven't seen that, and guess what, folks, almost certainly aren't going to, tells you everything you need to know. Oh, yeah, and while we're on the subject, here's one more related story from the, oh, you've got to be kidding me, Files. The Biden-Fuhrer regime is back to pushing the idiotic face diapers on commercial airplanes again. I guess if they don't care whether you live or die because of an incapacitated pilot, why would they hesitate at forcing you to rebreathe your own exhaust gases? Here's the story. Biden regime lawyers for the Department of Justice on Tuesday made the argument, as and I know it might be, before the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, after a federal judge last April struck down the unconstitutional, idiotic, counterproductive federal travel mask mandate, that, quote, the department continues to believe that the order requiring masking in the transportation corridor is a valid exercise of the authority Congress has given CDC to protect the public health. Oh, yeah, and to kill people whenever we darn well feel like it. This, they said, is an important authority. The department will continue to work to preserve. Because, let me say it clearly, folks, you peons still need to be told, even forced to know who's boss. And even though the Biden Fuhrer, again, lying, said that mask wearing at least once was a personal choice and declared that the pandemic, he didn't read the cue card correctly, is over is still fighting to reinstate the idiotic mask mandate. This is an IQ test, folks, and if you put up with any of that crap, you fail. From there, on to go to the story that probably would have headlined the news today were it not for the fact that so many three-letter federal agencies really are still trying to get you killed. Hey, let's put it this way. Would you believe they're still lying about it, too? And this one, I'll admit... Ought to be a thigh slapper, as Joe Hoff says for his piece in the Gateway Pundit. You can't make this stuff up. Former CNN mouthpiece, lying Brian Stelter, actually was invited to the WEF. He was one of the few, I guess, that was so thrilled he showed up, where he led the panel on disinformation. <laughs> if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Who better to spout disinformation about disinformation? This is absurd, though, says Hoff. Stelter was the king of fake news at the criminally negligent network and the laughingstock of those who knew the facts that he was constantly trying to label as lies, disinformation, fake news, and whatever other big whoppers the Ministry of Truth came up with that put on his cue card for him to read any given day. Whether it was the Mueller sham, COVID-1984, or fill-in-the-blank, Stelter was always pushing fake news. This is why it was funny, they say, that he was the guy picked to lead the disinformation discussion about disinformation, during which one participant actually came right out and said the following. The U.S. would soon have to have fake news laws because they don't care about the First Amendment anymore anyway, which once protected the God-given right to freedom of speech and even freedom of the press, if you can still believe that. But EU official Vera Jourova says she has a better idea. 
The U.S. will soon have illegal hate speech laws, said the European Union official on the WEF disinformation panel, along with a bevy of other, let's try to be polite here, folks, prevaricators. I think this is a related story. It concerns Representative Sick Sheila Jackson Lee, who at least one of the pieces from Red State says is long in the running for being the most vapid member of Congress. Uh-oh, did I just commit a hate crime? Has introduced proposed legislation that would make political criticism by white people against minorities a federal crime. The bill proposes that any white person who vilifies any non-white person and has their words end up on socialist media accessible by, get this, quote, persons who are predisposed to engage in any action in furtherance of a white supremacy-inspired hate crime would themselves be guilty of a federal hate crime. Yeah, it's so broad you could drive a Mack truck through it for the obvious and a whole bunch more reasons if you read this bit of idiocy. But let's turn to the Jonathan Turley piece, reprinted via Zero Hedge, who puts it this way. Again, remember, from the perspective of a leftist constitutional scholar. The anti-free speech movement he wrote in the United States continues to grow with alarming speed among writers, journalists, sick, academics, and most importantly, he says, Democratic members of Congress who are now openly calling for censorship and the manipulation of what citizens see and read. Yet, even in this environment, a recent proposal by Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat of Texas, is a menacing standout. Her bill is an almost, and I'm quoting here, impenetrable word salad of convoluted provisions. However, what's clear, and that may be the only thing that's clear, is that the, quote, leading against white supremacy act of 2023 would gut the First Amendment and effectively create thought crimes. And let's remember, we've already pretty much got a thought police. Oh, and by the way, he notes, even being accused of espousing what they now called replacement theory, i.e., you're concerned about an invasion at the southern border, is enough to generate a federal charge under this abomination. The bill isn't going to pass, says Professor Turley. However, the anti-free speech elements of the bill are deeply disturbing because they reflect successful efforts that have already been successful in criminalization of speech in other countries, from Canada to Germany to the United Kingdom. More comic relief next, kind of anyway, also from Davos and via the Daily Mail in this case, Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, I'm not kidding here, this is what it actually says, has told a group of attendees Tuesday at the WEF, they're in Tyranny Central, that they were part of a, quote, select group of human beings brought together by a, quote, extraterrestrial force to save the planet. Whereupon he launched into a diatribe warning the uh, attendees that time is running out to avoid the worst consequences of climate change. He didn't say it. I will. I can't help but think the worst consequences for the people working so hard to destroy everybody else anyway might be trials and tribunals for everything from crimes against humanity to treason. After a conviction for which they might see what the constitutional worst consequences actually are. Here's another one, almost as obscenely ridiculous. After lawyers for the senile puppet-in-chief found, Shazam, look what we got over here, more classified documents at an office, the one he used this time at a D.C. think tank, his captive Just Us department considered and then declined. Who could have imagined such a thing? A plan to have FBI agents monitor a search for classified documents at his various residences. <laughs> oh, good grief. 
Maybe they thought it would be too transparent because everybody knows the FBI isn't there to find evidence. They're there to suppress it, destroy it, cover up the fact that it ever even existed and make sure it never sees the light of day. But the excuse was it was, quote, in order to avoid complicating later stages of the investigations and because Biden's attorneys had, quote, so quickly turned over the first batch and were cooperating said the Wall Street Journal, trying to keep a straight face, citing people familiar with the matter. Instead, they note, the Department of Just Us decided it would be fine for Just Us and Biden's lawyers to conduct any additional searches they needed to by themselves. And they would agree to immediately notify their superiors at the cover-up department if they found anything else that might be potentially classified, after which law enforcement authorities would take the ashes, I would take whatever is left. Now, I don't have to tell you, but it's great that Zero Hedge points it out. This is the very same FBI that participated in a plan and fabricated evidence in the plot to frame former President Trump as a Russia, Russia, Russian asset, then ran cover for the Bidens during the 2020 U.S. election. Oh, yeah, and that was after they helped Hitlery et al. bleach bit and destroy evidence prior to the 2016 election that wasn't rigged well enough. But wait, still further back... It's the same FBI that seems to have helped in assassinating, or at least covering up their cooperation with the assassination of another president they didn't like so many decades ago. Now, at this point, I will cite a couple of comments from Christina Layla's coverage of the very same story from the Gateway Pundit. The Justice Department has actually decided against having FBI agents, not known for integrity at this point anyway, monitor a search by Joe Biden's personal lawyers for classified documents. These guys don't have security clearances, yet they were allowed to rummage through Biden's boxes of documents in search of top-secret materials, whereupon Biden's White House counsel was then allowed to facilitate the handing over of the oh-so-secret documents to the Department of Just Us. And yeah, rather than the machine-gun-toting agents Republicans have come to expect, descending on Biden's Delaware mansion, the Just Us Department and Biden's lawyers came to an agreement on how the search such as they are, would be conducted. And you know it, don't you? If there's any other crimes here, trust us. They'll be sure to let everybody know. They're lying about so many things, folks, but at least it's becoming increasingly clear that even the far left and the deep state have had enough of the senile diaper wearer. The problem is they've got to get rid of him in a way that won't expose the fact that, hey, they put him in there in the first place and aided and abetted all of the incredible crimes that have destroyed the nation leading up to it and ever since. This next story comes courtesy of the Rare Foundation, that's R-A-I-R, and Amy Mech, about a whistleblower named Dr. Andrew Huff, who actually has kind of a sordid past because he comes from an infamous organization you may have heard of, the Echo Health Alliance. Yeah, that one, of Peter Daszak fame and gain-of-function research and their connections to perhaps the most evil man on planet Earth, Anthony Fauci, that Echo Health Alliance. But he seems to have had an epiphany and uh, decided to go straight. Or maybe folks like many of us can probably relate to, he realized the organization he was working for wasn't exactly what he thought it was supposed to be. Says the story, in the United States, dozens of food processing plants have suspiciously caught fire over the past year. We've talked about a number of those here on this show, as have many others. Remarkably, though, and consistently, no one seems to have been present at the time of the fires. But the Eco Health Alliance whistleblower, Dr. Andrew Huff, who's a bioterrorism expert, military veteran, and scientist, has a possible explanation for these many food supply fires. 
Huff has access to government information about simulating a food supply attack. That information comes from the U.S. Department of Aktung, Homeland Security, and their Food and Agriculture Sector Criticality Assessment Tool. It's called FASTCAT, which also includes which places are particularly at risk. And according to Huff, who authorities have harassed due to the nature of his work since at least 2019, the U.S. government coordinated the attacks on the food facilities. Yeah, you heard that right. I know it's shocking, but stay with me. In addition, he said something remarkable has happened. The hard disk with all the fast cat data disappeared. (laughs) Maybe they should have taken it to the Biden lawyers instead of letting the FBI deal with it. Since then, though, there have been about 200 food factory attacks around the world, most of them in the U.S., he explained, and he had another backup disk, so he was able to analyze the attacks. It turns out that the attacks exactly match what were called the most critical systems in the data set. Who could have thought it? He reported this to the Department of Octum, Homeland Security, and the FBI, (laughs) and you're probably not going to be surprised at what I note next. He never received a response. Huff knows that the FBI and the food industry have tried to investigate what he called the terrorist attacks, and he suspects a government actor or even puppet string puller, like, hey, maybe those folks meeting in Davos, the World Economic Forum, are somehow behind it. We'll be right back. back now to the second segment for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall, and we'll kick this one off with some meta-news. Meta-news, of course, is news about the news. It's news that's more revealing than sometimes the news is itself, because the news is actually something we've known for quite a while. That is the corruption of the Biden crime family that has run the syndicate now in the United States for several years. So what you're probably asking is the meta-news. Well, the criminally negligent network has decided finally, at long last, to actually tell the truth and admit something the rest of us have known for a long, long time now. So what's the official mouthpiece for the deep state finally getting around to reporting? And more importantly, why and why now? Jake Tapper is finally beginning to criticize the fake president, Joe Biden, for storing classified documents in his garage next to his Corvette. Oh, yeah, and being a hypocrite about it, too. As Christina Layla mocks the Johnny-come-lately news for the Gateway Pundit, CNN has actually reported on the House GOP investigation into the Biden crime family and has finally even gone so far as to admit that Joe Biden's family had been profiting off of the Biden name. Said CNN, while Joe Biden swears by his name in politics, his son and two brothers spent years trying to benefit from the Biden name. CNN's review, belated as it may be, of Hunter's laptop data and other public material shows that Joe Biden did interact. (gasps) What? You mean now you tell us? Did interact with some of his son's associates while serving as vice president. Unquote. Well, you know what? Given that this has been such a long time coming... I do think it's important to hear it as it was actually finally aired. 
He has built his political career on promises of honesty, hard work, and a pledge that a family name means something. I give my word as a Biden. I give you my word as a Biden. But while Joe Biden swears by his name in politics, his son and two brothers spent years trying to benefit from the Biden name. Whereupon they spent over five whole minutes trying to tell us things that those of us who don't drink the CNN Kool-Aid have known blankety blank and well for literally years now. He looks like a crook. He hangs out with crooks. His son is for sure a crook. And just maybe we're not going to have to admit that there's an appearance of impropriety here. And when it comes to blatant influence peddling, why, even CNN had to admit that's outrageous. But as you might suspect, there's a great big but that follows. Oh, yeah. Listen up. Even so, government ethics experts say the Biden's ethical challenges pale in comparison to Donald Trump. One of the differences is that Trump himself personally was corrupt and uh, certainly did enrich himself uh, uh, through the use of, of government power. I guess some things never change. Yeah, they still really think their listeners are downright stupid and still don't know how the big guy gets his cut right off the top. But hey, remember Russia, Russia, Russia. And if we say Trump did it, that makes anything any other criminals do, if they have a D before their name, perfectly acceptable. But does that still mean forevermore? And it's important to note there is no proof the president has done anything illegal. And we all know that if there was, that's what Merrick Garland's Department of Just Us is for and why the FBI is hot on the job destroying evidence. Now, come on, this is a big deal. They've finally gotten around to admitting that there is some smoke here. But did you actually expect they were going to tell the whole truth? And this, folks, is why the meta news here is actually important. It signifies a major change in what the deep state is trying to spin and how much they're willing to admit. And uh, more importantly, what the purposes for this late to the party revelation might actually be. Yeah, he's senile. And they blatantly rigged the election anyway to put that puppet in power. Yeah, we've known for years he was a pervert. Yeah, we've known for years he was in on the take and that the big guy was getting that cut off the top and that that was why Ukraine was such a big deal and why it's worth going to World War III for to cover up. But wait, what's changed? Have the communist Chinese decided they no longer need their puppet in the White House? Maybe. The entire government, deep state, and bureaucracy are all pretty much not just criminally corrupt, but utterly subverted by now. And maybe it's this. The Biden Fuhrer has actually announced that if he manages to survive until 2024, he intends to be reelected come, uh, yeah, hell or high water. And that seems to have been a bridge too far for the deep state. CNN has now turned on Joe Biden, and it looks, folks, as Christina Leila puts it, like the green light has finally been given to go out and sink the senile one. Here's more meta news from a different source, but also certainly left of center. The Daily Mail out of the UK has this headline. The cartels are basically running this border. U.S. authorities, it says, have lost control of the southern border to Mexican drug lords who smuggle humans and narcotics and endanger Americans. Yes, it's a national security issue, says a border official in Arizona who spoke out about the difficulty of enforcing the southern border shared with Mexico as cartel trafficking operations intensify. No, they're out of control, folks. Said Yuma County Supervisor Jonathan Lines to Fox News, the cartels are basically running this border. This is not a political discussion. This is a national security issue. And gee, tell me something we again haven't known for a long time. But it's nice to see that some of the leftist rags are finally starting to admit it. What does that mean? Probably that it's way too late to do anything about it. 
Arguably, that goes for this next story, too. And it's yet another that we had strong suspicions about, in large measure because of the rhino at the top. From Jim Hoffman, the Gateway Pundit, FOIA requests now reveal that there were no Department of Justice investigations concerning election fraud after the clearly rigged 2020 elections, in spite of the fact that rhino Bill Barr had lied through his teeth and said otherwise. You remember, don't you? December 2020, U.S. Attorney General, the traitorous Bill Barr, said there was no evidence, no, none whatsoever, of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. In the process, defying President Donald Trump's ongoing efforts to get to the truth and reveal to the American people just how deep the skullduggery and scumbaggery went. Barr has repeated this claim over and over again since allegedly serving as Trump's Attorney General, and now there is more proof that Barr is and was lying. On Thursday, former Trump advisor Jeffrey Clark, director of litigation at the Center for Renewing America, joined Steve Bannon on the War Room, and he told Steve that the CRA has sent out FOIA requests to 12 U.S. attorney districts from the 2020 battleground states. Barr sent out a memo on November the 9th, 2020, saying there should be investigations of the elections. But the FOIA requests have now come back from every district but one with no documents. That's it. No investigations were done as a result of that memo. The only one of the 12 districts that hasn't yet come in is the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, where the U.S. attorney asked to investigate issues in his district, but Barr denied that request. Bottom line, Barr lied repeatedly to the American public. He's been caught, and of course, the usual question still applies. Will it make any difference? Will anything be done? Or will the criminals just keep on doing criminality? But by now, we certainly know how to bet. Now we change gears just a bit, still talking about huge lies revealed. And of course, these have been particularly deadly. There's a research paper out from the American Heart Association called Circulating Spike Protein Detected in Post-COVID-19 MRNA Vaccine Myocarditis. And writes Hal Turner for his radio show, it's bad. Well, how bad? I've shown it to two physicians so far. One said he literally had a seizure reading it, and the other said something, uh, well, kind of unprintable, evidently. But the bottom line is almost half a trillion copies of spike protein are found circulating freely in blood plasma a month after the COVID-1984 not-vaccine Zyklon B injections. Oh, yeah, and in kids. Their hearts screeching in pain with myocarditis, notes the piece, will never fully recover. Well, you knew that, but wait, there's more, lots, lots more, and it's damning, too. There are still up to 100 billion molecules of spike protein in all of these patients 20 days after the Zyklon B injection. In some cases, the concentration of spike protein is even rising at that 20-day mark. And so it's not clear how much is actually circulating, but remember, spike protein is toxic, particularly to the heart. Observes Hal Turner, and he's hardly the first on this score, folks. Virtually everything people were told about the Zyklon B injections after they were first foisted on a gullible market is a bald-faced lie. This has to do with the fact that, yes, they are admitting they're turning people's bodies into spike protein factories, but this is supposed to be a good thing. So what about that? Here's the quote from early on. While the vaccines themselves are rapidly removed, What happens to all that spike protein produced as a result? Wait a minute. Let's stop right there. They're not about to tell you, they certainly didn't, that a lot of it was shed to your spouse, children, and anybody else that was in the vicinity. But again, what are they going to try to convince people happens to all of those spike proteins produced by the mRNA injection? They're identified as foreign by the immune system. They didn't tell you this up front either, but with each subsequent injection, there's less and less of that left. 
But the immune system destroys them, teaching the cells to recognize the coronavirus in the process. Listen to this carefully and try not to choke. The spike proteins are fully cleared from the body after a few weeks, and this time they don't appear to leave the vaccination site, most often your upper arm. And that, folks, was one of the earliest major whoppers actually revealed to be another bald-faced lie. The wheels had come off of that one by June 2021. But antibodies specifically targeting the spike protein produced by your immune system remained in the body for many months after vaccination. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. What does it all mean, writes Hal Turner? Well, the study was done and submitted for peer review in late May of 2022. It was accepted for publication after peer review on November 23rd, 2022. So the world has known, at least as a matter of scientific research, these details since May of last year. And yet, notice that the vaccines were not halted. They had scientific proof vaccines were causing heart damage, myocarditis, which incidentally has a 50% mortality rate within five years. And uh, for the most part, they said nothing. Why, they didn't even quit poking commercial pilots, folks. Because, hey, we can't very well admit that the intent here is to kill people, that the vaccine is not only ineffective, does not reduce transmission, but is in fact harmful and downright deadly. Because if they stopped the Zyklon B injections, wouldn't that be pretty much an admission of guilt, even though they know they're above the law and free from liability? So, bottom line, all those kids coming down with myocarditis have a 50-50 chance of dying within the next five years. And the rest of those who took the vaccine and at least the first booster, the way things look right now, most of them, statistically, will be dead by the year 2027. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin appeared on a special episode of the TV show Fearless, hosted by Jason Whitlock. He was joined by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., NBA legend John Stockton, and others to talk about vaccine injuries and the COVID cartel. And during the discussion, Senator Johnson brought up the Nuremberg trials when it came to accountability, or in this case, lack thereof. Here's how he put it. So go back after World War II. The reason the Nuremberg trials... One of, the, one of the reasons that it was made possible is because Eisenhower made sure the camps were exposed and photographed and those horrors were revealed to the world. Um, that's why the first step here is exposure. And, and one of the reasons, well, the, the main reason, and I got contacted by Ken Rutgers, whose wife was vaccine injured, that got me involved with the vaccine injured community. And you know, my main reason for advocating for them is so they can be seen, heard, believed, and healed and treated. Because right now, without federal agencies, without the medical establishment uh, acknowledging that, they, they can't even get treatment. Mm-hmm. Now think about that, folks, because officially, no surprise, their problem doesn't even exist. Why, it's not possible. Ergo, nothing to see here. Move along. Senator Johnson goes on to say there are really two tracks here. One has to do with the origins of, uh, well, I'll call it what he won't, the bioweapon, and the part two, which is the Zyklon B injection itself. The idea being, or so he says, so we can have stronger international treaties to control what science or what now passes for it allows. And there's this issue of trying to deal compassionately with the people who've been harmed by these actions, by these not vaccines. But I'll suggest there's more. One of the purposes or the outcomes of the Nuremberg trials was to establish protocols which have now been completely ignored and brought us right back or worse where we were then. Concepts like informed consent, which no longer apply to the peons. After all, if Big Brother says poke them and kill them, then that's exactly what Big Brother's going to do. Nuremberg precedents be damned. 
And that leads me to part two of my response. The reason why the Nuremberg presidents are being ignored is because these people no longer have to worry about what happened to those who were convicted at Nuremberg of crimes against humanity and uh, executed as a result. And that's the reason why it's happening all over again. Unless there is accountability, you can guarantee that the mass murder of millions, even billions if they're able to pull it off, will continue. Item from J.D. Hayes at Natural News about Wells Fargo and the fascism of public-private partnerships implementing their agenda on uh, Once Free America. Wells Fargo Bank, he says, is making moves to impose corporate management's left-wing agenda on as much of the country as possible, leading to a further bifurcation of left v. right in an America that no longer has much in the way of freedom on any front. First, the bank has decided to end their relationship with a major gun dealer in Florida, indicating that they intend to further discriminate against the firearms industry and destroy what's left of the right to keep and bear arms. Brandon Wexler of Wex Gunworks in Delray Beach was told his business has become too risky and he'd better find himself another bank. Oh yeah, and we're canceling your business line of credit too. I've been with him for 25 years, he said. I think this is a direct attack against gun dealers, because this all happened so recently. A bank spokeslayer denied that. The National Shooting Sports Foundation says Wells Fargo's decision to abruptly cancel all business with Wex Gunworks is just the most recent example of woke banking discrimination against the firearms industry. On then to today's economic meltdown update. We'll start with a couple of quick, at least semi-humorous headlines. Microsoft CEO has confirmed another 10,000 job cuts as tech layoffs intensify. We've lived through times of significant change, he said. And as I meet with customers and partners, a few things are clear. (laughs) We're going to have to do more with less. Here's one that probably caused a collectivist gasp on Wall Street. 69-year-old Federal Reserve Board Chairman Jerome Powell, who is, they say, fully up-to-date, vaccinated and boosted, has tested positive for COVID-19 and is experiencing mild symptoms. Well, hey, at least he didn't drop dead suddenly with a heart attack or stroke that they'd have had to come up with an excuse about. He'll be isolating remotely from home. Here's another one from Zero Hedge. The Empire Fed's manufacturing survey says the headline has totally collapsed. Against a background that begins of some recent better-than-expected macro prints that have bolstered the, uh, I would say, bogus soft landing thesis, which has spurred stocks higher and rate hike odds lower. The Empire Fed manufacturing survey just stole the jam out of the bull's donuts. The New York Fed's general business conditions index crashed nearly 22 points to a negative 32.9 this month, and that is twice as bad as the weakest earlier estimates of analysts. Aside from the COVID lockdown idiocy in May 2020, this is the weakest print since March 2009. It's been in contraction five of the last six months. New orders dropped nearly 28 points to a minus 31.1, lowest since May 2020 during COVID time, making the third straight month of contraction while shipments plunged by a similar amount and factory employment fell to its lowest level in more than two years, indicating hiring has essentially stalled. (laughs) But, but, but they ask, what about the soft landing? The most dramatic news, however, and the one that almost certainly isn't going to get major front page play, at least not until the shelves at Walmart are empty, comes from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Hal Turner had it first, but we've been talking about it now for a very long time. They're officially open, they announced, to settling trades for oil and natural gas in currencies other than the almighty fiat Federal Reserve note, a.k.a. U.S. dollar. Quick, somebody better alert the Kirk Casinos. Time to sell lots of paper, gold, and silver futures. 
Well, Zero Hedge, citing a number of sources, has the second and third witnesses on this one. Pozar was right, says their headline. The Saudis have confirmed non-dollar oil trade plans. And where else? WEF Central, Davos. And Tyler Durden's summary begins by noting that earlier this month, former New York Fed repo guru Zoltan Posar wrote what they called one of his most important reports in the year 2022, in which he described how Putin could unleash hell on Western financial systems by demanding that instead of dollars, Russian oil exporters be paid in gold, effectively pegging oil to gold and launching petrogold. Now, that was old news by year end. Then Chinese President Xi's visit with Saudi and GCC leaders marked what was called the birth of the Petro Yuan and the leap in China's growing encumbrance of OPEC's oil and gas reserves. That's because with the China GCC summit, quote, China can now claim to have built their own special relationship, not only with the plus sign in OPEC plus, that means Russia, folks, but also with Iran and indeed all of OPEC plus. And at that time, Zoltan urged his readers to think of this timing in a diplomatic sense calling this new relationship the dawn of the petro yuan. But now, according to Bloomberg, Saudi Arabia is open to discussions about trade in currencies other than the dollar, said the kingdom's finance minister in Davos. Quote, there are no issues with discussing how we settle our trade arrangements, whether it's in the U.S. dollar, whether it's the euro, whether it's in the Saudi rial, said Mohammed al-Jada'an to Bloomberg TV in Davos. I don't think, he added, we're waving away or ruling out any discussion that will help improve trade around the world, he said. But added, we do enjoy a very strategic relationship with China, and we enjoy that same strategic relationship with other countries, including the U.S., and we want to develop that with Europe and other countries who are willing and able to work with us, he said. See, it all sounds so wonderful, folks. How could this possibly be a negative for the spectacular privilege that now seems to be gone with the wind of the U.S. being able to print its debt into oblivion and foist it off on everybody else in the world. Well, because they had no choice if they wanted to buy oil. Concludes the Zero Hedge summary. This all makes it sound like the Biden regime isn't too high up on the kingdom's strategic planning. And so, given the comments from the kingdom's finance minister, Zoltan's ominous warning appears ever closer to reality. He called it dusk for the petrodollar and dawn for the petro yuan. Without question, it's another nail in the fiat dollar coffin. On this show, folks, we call it a warning, and yet another word to the wise. One of the continuing revelations that really isn't, coming out of the war in Ukraine, that the regime certainly intends to expand into a nuclear confrontation, is the depletion of American military stockpiles, things like ammunition, particularly artillery shells, javelin missiles, and so on. There have been a number of former and retired military that have come forward and said, hey, we're sure wasting a lot of ammo over there. If we actually needed it, say, to defend the undefended southern border, well, there's not going to be any. And that certainly, to your hosts anyway, seems to be the obvious intent. But the New York Times this week, says a piece from Zero Hedge summarizing several stories, has detailed more of the desperate behind-the-scenes scramble of U.S. and Western officials to keep up the steady supply of arms and ammo being depleted over there. And that especially includes artillery munitions, or 155-millimeter shells, being expended in Ukraine, allegedly at least to beat back the Russian invasion. It's yet another significant acknowledgement, says Tyler Durden, of the Pentagon's own dwindling stockpiles, as it now must tap heretofore not publicly disclosed stores in places like Israel, 
Quote, the Pentagon is tapping into a vast but little-known stockpile of American ammunition in Israel to help meet Ukraine's dire need for artillery shells in the continuing war with Russia, say American and Israeli officials, reported the New York Times. The stockpile provides arms and ammunition for the Pentagon to use in Middle Eastern conflicts. The U.S. has also allowed Israel to access these supplies in emergencies. But now that stockpile, too, is being depleted like the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, it would seem, even though it's previously gone unreported, while another stockpile held overseas is being tapped in South Korea. And isn't it interesting, folks, that uh, if those supplies are depleted in Asia and in the Middle East, well, they still won't be available for use on the southern border when it becomes obvious to Americans that hey, it's too late to stop that one anyway. And just to bring that point home, it wasn't long ago a top U.S. admiral alluded to the obvious fact that the U.S. needed to make a choice between whether to defend itself or Ukraine during a panel at an international conference. First, it was Admiral Daryl Cottle, commander of U.S. Fleet Forces Command, asked then to respond to those comments. It was Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro who acknowledged before that naval warfare conference in Arlington, Virginia, that the U.S. within the next six months will face a decision of whether to arm itself or Ukraine due to those rapidly depleting stockpiles, given what's being wasted over there. But yeah, he said, we're going to monitor it very, very closely. This, after Army stockpiles pretty much having been depleted, have now shifted to the Navy. The U.S. has pledged Sea Sparrow missiles to Ukraine, and that's after U.S.-made harpoons have long been transferred to Kiev via Denmark. Wrote Steve Hankey, U.S. defense officials sick are wringing their hands over the rapid depletion of ammo stockpiles. Yeah, the U.S. has drained its munitions stockpiles to fight its proxy war with Russia. Now it's going to have to cough up even more big bucks to restock, or <laughs> are they even going to try, folks, its own U.S. arsenal. As he put it, madness. But wait a minute. No, it's worse than that. Let's call it what it is. Treason. And with less than a minute to go, how do we tie a ribbon on all of this this evening? By pointing out again that treason isn't limited to a military that won't do its job and defend the United States of America. Instead, and we see it in every area, Big Brother is making war on Americans. For example, the latest Twitter files drop shows that Big Pharma and its public-private partners use these socialist media companies to control, censor, all vaccine-related content. Gee, there's a shocker. You probably wouldn't put up with death by lethal injection or let them do it to your kids if you knew what it was really about. Or, and we've talked about this forever now, that the vaccinated spike protein factories were shedding them all over the unvaccinated. But here's the capper for now. The CDC has a confidential meeting scheduled in early March, says naturalnews.com, to talk about developing a public health tool to predict what kind of misinformation about vaccines might go viral. I can save them the trouble. The more people realize that they've been had, they're making war on you, remember? The more viral that information is going to go. 